Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Jasmine Haley. Jasmine is the founder and CEO of Beyond the Profi, co-founder of Inspire the Future Summit for Dental Hygiene Educators, and co-founder of the Mom Genus community. She has over 18 years of experience as a dental hygienist, educator, and dental assistant. Within those years, she has served eight years in academia in a full-time adjunct or consultant capacity. Currently, she's a full-time educator at Wake Technical Community College Dental Hygiene Program. When she's not directly helping to impact the lives of her students or dental professionals with her coaching, she can be found on the stage doing what she loves the most, speaking from the heart. She shares her personal experiences of overcoming overwhelm, burnout, fear, and self-doubt to help professionals rediscover their greatness and pursue their entrepreneurial goals. She is the current host of Breakthrough to Excellent podcast. She's an expert on HIV AIDS, an advocate for opioid epidemic, curator of impactful events, promoter of self-acceptance, self-love, and a crusader for the cultural sensitivity. Jasmine is a national leader, entrepreneur, influencer, and a 2018 recipient of the Sunstar RDH Award of Distinction. You can reach her at www.jasminehaley.com. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Jasmine Haley. Jasmine, I'm really excited to, to have you on the show today, and thank you for sharing your time with us. I know it's a crazy time of the year, especially with you know summer and vacations and all that kind of stuff, so thank you for taking some time. Like I do with all of my guests, I would love it if you could share with us a little bit about your story and how you got into dentistry and what drew you to the profession, if there was somebody in your life that introduced you to it or whatever. So just launch with your story and then we'll take it from there. Okay. All right. Awesome. So thank you so much for, first of all, inviting me and thank you to Susan Cotton for referring me. I do want to give a shout out to her because she's an incredible woman, incredible woman. So I am actually one of those weird people that just has no one in dentistry in their family and just had a fascination with teeth. My fascination came from the fact that I had severely crowded teeth and actually I was teased quite a bit about it. And I had immaculate home care. <laughs> and look at how beautiful they are today. I mean, they're amazing. Thank you. And so they were severely crowded. I used to get called all types of kind of names. And my mom just could not afford any work for us. She was a single parent in New York City. That's where I'm originally from. And so I had from the young age, probably around 12 or 13, knew I wanted to go into dentistry and wanted to be specifically an orthodontist because I wanted to help other people have confidence in their smile because at that point I did not. And so I decided to go to a specialized high school in New York City. It still exists. The program isn't there, but it had a dental assisting program. And so I went into the dental assisting program. I graduated as a dental assistant and decided to go the route of becoming a hygienist because I knew that I needed to work through school because I didn't really have the financial support 
to, to go to dentistry first off. So my plan was to go into dental school and I wind up not visiting that plan because I started a family, decided to start a family. And then I needed a new route of figuring out, well, what is it? What else can I do? What are the strengths that I have? And so I decided to go into the world of education and through education and th some experiences within my career in academia, I started my business and I'm still in academia, but I've moved into the world of entrepreneurship, empowerment, personal development, and now business development for women who are seeking to pursue their entrepreneurial goals. That is so exciting. So lots of questions that I can jump off from here. So do you have any regrets not going to dental school? You know, I used to feel that way. It took a long time because like for me personally, I'm an achiever. Like I don't like to set out to do something and not finish it. And so there were some times and I've kind of talked about a little bit with my husband going back over the years, but I just couldn't find enough reason for me to do that. And especially once I hit the realm of entrepreneurship and started getting some of those speaker checks. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was like, I would definitely feel like, okay, I, I'm making my mark in the world is actually a lot larger than just providing dentistry. However, for my children, though, I want them to understand that if you have an inkling in you that you have leadership skills and you're meant to, you know, do X, Y, and Z, never let anyone deter you from your goals. So I think I'm serving a, I'm not saying that dentistry is a, a lower purpose. I wish I could do it restoratively, especially for the marginalized communities that I'm passionate about. But I love the direction that my career is taking right now. So, Well, I have to say that I agree with you. I think that what you're doing is phenomenal. And I do see young women in dentistry, all realms, whether it's assisting hygienists, you know, even dentists, young dentists who do not have the, the faith in themselves, do not believe in themselves enough and lack confidence quite honestly, in their skill sets. And we absolutely need to be supporting them across the board because they need it desperately, especially the younger dentists. I think that they struggle a little bit with skill development, even more so now, obviously, with the stress of COVID-19, our school systems. I don't know about you, but our, my school is, is very different from what it was, you know, four months ago. I mean, it's, it's extremely the clinical experience is, is going to be challenging for us to provide for them. So I don't know, you know, what it's going to look like in the year ahead, especially with the up and down on the pandemic and, you know, outbreaks occurring, you know, is that going to stagnate us in the education? Tell me what, what you're doing in your, your realm as far as from an educational standpoint, getting your students back into the classroom. Right now, it's a summer session, and so we're doing everything online. In fact, we've actually taken some of our courses that are supposed to be given in the fall and have put them in the summer to allow more time for us to make up for the clinical hours that were missed in the spring. So the second year students were pushed through, not meaning that they were kind of, they weren't adequate, but just they were prioritized um, and helping them be able to finish off what they could finish off. And so they have thus graduated, but it's our first years that now have to deal with the additional amount of clinical hours because CODA has not given us any 
um, word of advice on whether or not can we reduce the hours? Do we still ha have the expectation of them still having the same amount of clinical hours? So we're doing more of a blended hybrid where the courses that are didactic will be online. We do have the option of, of doing it online and then the clinical hours will now be, we actually have all the students at one clinic. There's 24, 25 or something like that. And please forgive me if I'm getting it wrong because I just started with this program. We're gonna be splitting them in half. Ah. And so that requires more clinic time. Like the clinic's gonna be running like this. <laughs> Monday through Friday. So that's what we're doing. And they're actually talking about, which is not concrete, not accepting a full class or no class at all. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's a scary thing as a person in, in academia. One for adjunct, especially I've been an adjunct, but even for full-time, like what does that mean for the program to not take a class? coming in because of that. So there's discussion with that too. Wow, that's really drastically different then. So tell me a little bit about your 2020 class. Did they were they able to take their live patient exam because I know that's something that's critically important to me and personally because I just think that competency should be determined at the school level and not at the testing level. And I know hygiene might be a little bit different, but you know, for dental school, you know, restorative restoration, you know, crowns, fillings, you know, all of that, that sort of stuff, uh, root canals, we can simulate that on a mannequin. We don't need a live patient. And to me, it's quite unethical actually to have a patient being treated that's not in a dental home you know, that we're just seeing them piecemeal just to do the exam. So there has to be a better way. So tell me a little bit about your class. Did, did they make it through and do their live patient exams? So we have a requirement that they have to have like a, a Calc C, which is like the heaviest calculus class or class three, you know, for some programs is different every program. And what they did for them was we actually made calculus and put it on typodonts and had them finish off that requirement, those that did not get a chance to see a patient at that level. I know that they, in the state that I live in, which is North Carolina, they are given provisional licenses for the new graduates, but I actually was contacted by one over the weekend that was saying that she was debating whether or not should she do the provisional license or just wait to take the CETA exam. But the CETA exam will be on a typodont. And it's interesting that you mentioned your thoughts as a dentist, because there's been a huge, huge debate on Facebook a couple of months ago about the need to get rid of that exam, because you just got to think about it, how much requirements they have to complete by the end. Like we should know, the faculty should know who has the clinical ability. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I think it's competency should be established at the school level. And then if you want to test for the ability to do something, we'll determine how to do it on a mannequin, but don't take a live patient in there because we don't have a dental home for that patient. We're just doing pieces of their treatment plan and it's not comprehensive care. So for me, it's an unethical thing. You know, I, I just really feel strongly that way. Now, what's interesting about the program that I'm in, they actually have it where they see these patients that are at that level for a board patient, like a mock board, but the students are still finishing them. They're still getting comprehensive treatment. So 
that's actually a lot better than just, you know, taking care of whatever the surfaces are that you have for your, your clinical exam. So I think that, but here's the thing though, the people on Facebook that have discussed this are saying, well, it's not fair because I had to do it. And why can't the next generation do it? Oh my gosh. It's so small minded, isn't it? Yes. And it's like, oh. All right. I graduated from hygiene school 30 years ago. Okay. Not for anything. If there's a better way to do it, come on people. Let's move on into the next generation. Seriously. There's so many, especially the, I don't know if you've seen the Verisys simulators. There's a new simulation company that is hitting the market for medicine and dentistry. And quite honestly, you know, scaling as on this simulator is exactly the same as being in patient's mouth. And you can hit the gums and you can, you know, absolutely positively tell when you're hitting calculus and when you're not. I have never felt anything like it. It's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. So I think that we're heading in that direction. I think we're in that gap space, you know, where, where we're not quite there yet and we haven't caught up to the technology, but I think that over the next 10 years that we finally will. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the presentations that I give was how important technology is in the classroom. And I actually mentioned, I don't remember the name of it. It was a simulator specifically for dental school, right? And it was incredible. Like faculty could actually see what they were doing in like a, it was almost like a 3D image. And then they were able to give comments to the student and the student was able to go back and make, you know, the necessary changes. But I have been such a huge, huge advocate for more online education. And I feel like the, we're going to get a paradigm shift. Unfortunately, we're going to be forced into it because of this pandemic. I do online education with my own business. I am reaching people from all over this country as I'm teaching them. I mean, there's so many things that I feel like in dentistry as a whole, we're so conservative and we're not willing to let go of this type of thinking that we've had that's not allowing us to grow. For instance, when you said about confidence, now, I, one of my top strength in the strength finder is futuristic. So I'm always thinking about the future and, and what can make things better. So one of the things that I did when I did my master's degree was I created what I envisioned the dental hygiene curriculum should look like. And in my opinion, we should take out some of these classes that we have and focus on leadership ability all semester. If we do that, and we really take in the personal development component of like mindset, growth mindset, clarity on who we are as individuals, we will see less disgruntled professionals in our industry. We will see more rock star professionals that are want to excel in our profession. But what we have on the contrary is we focus on teaching towards the boards. And so then we get frustrated when we try to elevate our profession and can't understand why our colleagues aren't willing to follow through. Well, we never developed them for that. Exactly. And I'm going to go one, just some additional insight into to how I think as well. And we're very aligned in, in, both in, in this topic because I can see your mind is thinking very similar to mine. I think we can solve the access to care issue also very, very quickly by 
one, going virtual with our basic education, and then two, sending students out where they're needed, not where we want them to be. So for example, in downtown Boston, where I am, you know, there's three dental schools. All those patients are coming into the city. It's expensive to park. It's hard to come into the city. It's even worse now because of COVID-19. Patients don't want to come into a congested area. I have patients coming from Maine, from Cape Cod, from upstate New Hampshire, from upstate Vermont. We need to be sending our students there with faculty members, calibrated faculty members. And I think within a year, we can solve the access to care problem. Because if we just send everybody out like a spoke on a wheel, have the central location, but a spoke on a wheel and send everybody out to where they're needed, we could solve it so quickly. And I think that, you know, there's a school in South Carolina, I believe, or maybe it is in North Carolina. No, I think it's South Carolina. Uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, is that in South Carolina? Uh, I know that they're in Virginia. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. So it was, I don't know which school it is. I thought it was South Carolina, but you know, what they do is they send their students out and it's worked out really, really well. Rather than having patients come directly to the school, they send them out to, you know, really isolated areas of their state that people can't get anywhere outside. So, you know, I, I think that we just, we do have to start thinking differently. And right now we have seen how quickly we can transform with the technology that's available today there is no reason why we can't keep going moving forward. And I think that all of that simulation stuff can be done online. At some point, we're going to have something that the students are going to be able to use that all of those exercises will be able to be done online. Get them prepared and then send them out to the real world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. There, I mean, there's, there's a ton of things I can add to that. I feel that we need to have a more diverse representation in our classes that we have it with women but we need other ethnic groups involved now i don't know how you feel about this but i honestly feel that we need to expand the role of the dental hygienist and have it universal for the entire country not just some are able to do this and some aren't able to do this it needs to be unified you know I mean, there's, there's so many things. I mean, just for me personally, I grew up in a disadvantaged background. My area of expertise is working with persons living with HIV, dealing with uh, substance use disorder and diversity. Those are the topics I speak on, but they come from my own familiar history. Whereas when I go into one of the things that I've done in my role, I eventually moved my way up and I became an educational consultant with the School of Medicine. So I worked in an interprofessional team. That's another thing that can help us with our access to care, right? And it was my first time learning about average childhood experiences. I had never worked with a social worker before. I had never heard an, a lawyer speak about the issues that we were surrounding. And it was my first time being introduced to that as a, um, someone that's been working clinically for years. And so one of the tasks that I had was I had to teach about HIV 101. And that was a four, three or four hour class. And I would go in and I would have to speak to the dental group. Okay. Most of them in that gorgeous school were generational dentists. Wow. Their father, their father, and their father. Okay. 
And the last time I spoke for them before I moved here to North Carolina, I had the most disturbing comments from these students that were in attendance, unfortunately. They weren't listening completely. They were, when I had live poll, polling texts, they were making funny comments. As I was trying to help them have compassion for this group and to help work together, they weren't taking it seriously. One of the students came up and walked, to, walked up to me. He was from the Bronx. He was Hispanic. He was completely embarrassed by his colleagues. And one of the things he mentioned was that when you have certain people who come into this profession who are not touched by the things that happen to our marginalized communities, they can't, it's hard for them to turn the switch on to be empathetic, right? And it's not gonna be done in a three hour course. But if you force them to work in that area with them as they do at University of Maryland, they get some more experience working with that group, maybe we'll get more of that access to care. So I feel like it's a combination of things. And I've just, I've heard so many crazy stuff from people, even after speaking with them about HIV and substance use disorder. One hygienist came up to me in Colorado and said, why don't we just let them die? <gasps> oh my God, really? Yes. And I wasn't alone, I was with my friend. And this is after eight hours of me spending on HIV and substance use disorder, the, the statistics, how we need to reframe our mind and how we help them and meet them where they are. I mean, it was heavy, but it was, it was a powerful delivery. And that's her response. Oh my so gosh. I'm going to ask you a specific question. Was she white? Yes. And she oh. was older. She was older. So I would say she's probably 30 years in and in her 50s. But again, the issue comes from, oh, this is getting deep now. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. You know what, I, I'm really excited that we're heading in this direction because I'd love to talk about it. I, I'm gonna share with you a little story after you finish, but I would love to talk about it. So I think it's a critically important issue today and we have to start talking. We do. We have to start talking about it. And we, we can't be putting it under the rug anymore. We've got to have frank conversations. And you know what? We need to open our eyes. Many, and I'm just going to make a generalization here, many of us are clueless. Yeah. Men, women, you know, anybody that grew up in an area that wasn't in a marginalized, just like you said, not a marginalized community we're clueless. So I'll share with you an experience after you finish. And I apologize for interjecting. So go ahead. Yeah, that's totally fine. And, and here's the thing. I know that that's what I'm coming into, right? I know that when I speak about diversity, or if I mention working with a trans patient, you know, all the things that I even had to learn, you know, I may have been brought up with, you know, some, some aspects of being, you know, being in a marginalized community myself, but there's still some aspects I needed to learn. So, you know, I've had people ask me, you know, do you realize you're doing the devil's work when I talk about working with the LGBTQ population? I mean, the, the comments are, are crazy, but this is what I fundamentally think is the issue. One, we're not willing to have these difficult conversations, right? And in fact, these, these topics are powerful, but they don't, people don't want to hear them. 
because it makes you take a mirror out and take a look at our own biases and issues. A lot of us don't have, we don't create friendships and deep relationships with people that are from different areas and walks of life. We tend to gravitate to people that look like us. And I had a, the most profound conversation. Her name is Deborah uh, Alexa. She used to be a, the director of a dental hygiene program in Arizona. And she shared this book with me and I encourage all of your readers who, who are interested in, in discovering how to deal with this difficult conversation of race and all these other things. This book is called Waking Up White and it's from Debbie Irving. Debbie Irving, yep. And I didn't understand until this wonderful woman explained to me when she woke up in the morning and she went about her daily life, everyone looked like her. She didn't know, she didn't understand. And so there's a level of, you know, compassion we need because we don't really spend that time in our own educational system, talking about some of the ugliness that is in our, our country. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of beauty, but there's some ugliness too, right? We don't have those hard conversations and we shy away from it and we say, oh, it's a political, but it's not, it's, it's about human rights. And when we give our oath as a dentist or a dental hygienist or a dental assistant, we have to recognize that there's differences in our, in our patients. And we have to realize that when we sit in that chair, we have vowed to take care of them, to see them, to see their differences, but provide a safe space for them. And unfortunately, not everyone believes that. It just shocks me. And I shared this, um, so we had a Juneteenth celebration at Tufts on June 19th, obviously. And I didn't have the opportunity to be there in person. I have a, a duty on Fridays. I'm a grandmother, so I take care <laughs> of my grandson on Fridays. And, and nothing comes between me and my grandson on Fridays. It's just non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned. So I, I watched it that weekend. And... You know, we have a, a significant, one of the top diverse populations in the, the classroom at Tufts across the country. And I will say that I'm very proud of our school. I myself have never seen color. I just, everybody is the same. It doesn't matter to me. I, so I don't think that way. And never as a practitioner once would I ever consider you know, treating a patient differently, everybody's my patient, right? And if you're on my chair, I'm going to treat you all exactly the same. I don't care if you have money or you don't have money. But I will tell you, I was clueless. One of my students who I mentor mentioned that, Dr. Allen, you need to start really doing some reading on, you know, Malcolm X and, you know, Black Wall Street and, oh, the 13th Amendment. So I started to watch some of those. And I will tell you, it made me sick to my stomach to think about some of the things that, you know, the Ku Klux Klan was doing and things that, that your people live through. And I'm horrified that I'm even associated with a group of people that would have done that to another human being. So it really opened my eyes, but it was not until I heard my students share with me on that day their own personal stories. And 
honest to goodness, I can think about it today and just burst into tears. I mean, one student lives in an area in Mississippi that's still segregated. There's still the wrong side of the tracks and you can't go on the other side. And I just am like, oh my God, this is 2020. So you're, you're spot on. We're a bunch of clueless people because we never walked a day in your shoes. But I'm here to tell you that there's millions of us, I'm sure, that feel the same way that I do, that think, oh my gosh, this is just totally unacceptable in 2020. So what do you need us to do? You tell us what we need to do. We're going to be right there standing right next to you and helping to get this message out because as far as I'm concerned, it's just not acceptable anymore. And I have no tolerance for it. Just none. Period. End of conversation. So, you know, how, how can we best help? to support, you know, like for me, it's my students, for you, it's your students and, and everybody that you work with, but how do we support one another as a profession to like take this issue on and really start having the hard conversations? Woo, okay. I know, it's a lot in that, <laughs> see, but, but that's why it's so important to have organic conversations, right? Because I do want to go here. I, I do want to put it out there. I'm being very honest and being very, and saying, I know I was clueless. I don't want to be that way anymore. So I will start off with, I'm going to give you a list of things. I actually wrote an article recently for Do Life, Do Life magazine. I saw it actually. Um, so this is going to be in the summer 2020 issue on how we can build racial equity within our own businesses. So if you're a business owner, you need to read this article and check the resource that I shared on how to build an anti-racist business. So I'm gonna share some principles that can help with you all and some of the things that I talk about in my diversity course. So the first thing is we have to realize that sometimes we, we don't realize that some of the work that we're doing could be a form of cultural blindness that can be actually harmful to others. So one of the common sayings that people say, that although it's well-intentioned, is I don't see color. And I think it's really important for us to realize that we have to see the differences. You don't judge people based on the differences, but you have to see that there's differences. Just like when you finally saw the differences with your, your student, right? I can give you stories as well. I've been followed, I've been called an N-word, I've been, you know, overlooked for certain opportunities. I mean, I've dealt with, you know, racial bias when seeking care outside of a dental office. I mean, there's a list of things I can give you, even as an influencer, I've seen. So what we have to recognize is that we should never go to our friends of color and ask them to educate us. Because honestly, we are, are are tired sure sure we're tired we have talked about these things a lot already so we want our white counterparts to be allies to start the process of educating themselves and the book i recommend is waking up white there's other books out there but i think there's awakening that has to happen for those that don't even realize that these things do exist now it's important to realize that although I don't live my life saying, as I pursue my goals uh, as a hindrance of thinking my color is a hindrance, I know that there's going to be challenges, unfortunately, because we're in a conservative 
industry, but it doesn't hinder me. And so I want people to know that we don't talk about race as a crutch. But unfortunately, there aren't people that think like you. Totally, right? There aren't people that don't judge people by their ethnicity. There will always be people that will, right? And they will do harmful things. So if we recognize that these things do exist and they're affecting our colleagues and our counterparts, what are we doing to build an anti-racist organization, an anti-racist business? Are we including people of color, Black, Indigenous people of color, BIPOC people in our, on our table, right? Are we looking to create a diverse, like if I'm hosting a conference, am I gonna make it diverse, right? Mm -hmm. Do you notice when you look in your magazine and they give you the top 100 people in, in dentistry, do you notice that there isn't, you know, a diverse group of individuals? Are you going to speak out on that? When you're around family and friends and you hear them saying things that are outrightly racist, will you speak up on that? Mm -hmm. Are you going to educate those individuals that are out there? What's harmful is that it wasn't people of color that created racism. We did it's the people in power that created it. So they're gonna need to be the ones that dismount it, right? It's not all on our shoulders, right? So it starts with that conversation. It starts with being very conscious in how are you donating your money? Like, are you looking to, to help those marginalized communities and donating to them? Are you looking to purchase from people who are from these marginalized communities to help them build their businesses, you know? and things of that nature, because there have been some structural things that have happened within our own nation that have kind of held them back over time, right? You know, my mom, she grew up in the Jim Crow laws. I've heard her stories, you know, it wasn't that long ago. My grandmother who's 95, she's lived through it. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. So I would encourage, um, and I'll send you the link to read that article, to see the resources. There are seven things that I list there and it starts with educating ourselves. How about, you know, developing genuine relationships with other types of individuals, inviting them over for dinner, you know? I mean, those are simple ways. We have to start with our own hearts, then our home, and then we help build our community to be better. Some really valuable points. And I, I appreciate your direct and honest uh, return on this because you're right. We have to be educating ourselves. And it, it was because they said to me, Dr. Helen, you need to just start doing this. And I said, okay, I'm going to start doing this because it's that important to me that I want to understand. And I'm really thrilled that you're going to share more. And I will definitely read that book so that I can start having the conversations with my own colleagues. Because I think that's where we need to go. We need to we really need to have frank conversations with each other and say, okay, what are we going to do about this to make it better? Because we have to do something. We just cannot keep going on the way that we're going on. We just can't. Yeah. And we have to be, we can't do it alone. We have to work collectively together. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like, think about it. If you're in a relationship and you're talking to your mate and I just know this, even with my husband, and if I don't feel like I'm being heard, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, here's your food, you know, and like, <laughs> just like totally over it. And I think if both parties feel like they're being heard, like sometimes we just need to stop 
especially for my my white friends that I've had this conversation, just stop and listen for a second. Just stop and just listen. Yeah. If we start from there, like really actively listen to each other, I feel like we can go somewhere, you know, but we need to work together. We can't, we're not going to be able to do this alone. No, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. So tell us a little bit about what you do on your entrepreneurial side. So more specifically the consulting, you know, what is the kind of work that you're really focused on so that people can find you in social media? I know a lot of people know you already, but in my area of the world, maybe they don't. So tell us a little bit about some of the work that you're doing there. So I've been in business for four years and I actually rebranded in 2020, January, and then COVID happened. But anywho, um, (laughs) I am an online business coach. And so what I do is I help female entrepreneurs get over fear, self-doubt, any overwhelm and launch their business. And I specifically help them with understanding some business foundational principles, like how to identify their client, how to work on their brand, how to take their knowledge and expertise and create an online course. And so I do that now by means of a membership group I have for female entrepreneurs. I also have a podcast called Breakthrough to Excellence Podcast, and I highlight other female entrepreneurs that are doing amazing things. And I think collectively, you know, as women, we have a different viewpoint of the world, obviously, right? And we have some unique struggles within business, such as asking for what we're worth and (laughs) dealing with, as you mentioned, confidence. I mean, right now I'm a part of a mastermind group myself, and I didn't realize that it wasn't until 1974 that a woman can own a bank account without a man signing it. And I almost fell out on the floor when I found that out. I feel I am completely committed right now to helping women get financial wealth through whatever they want to pursue. I want to be at that, that pivotal place where they make that decision to start building for themselves. And when we build as women and we build our businesses, we're the ones that put the money back into the community. I'm sorry, there's so many men that are not even concerned about it. They're gonna buy them a boat, go out fishing, go get some new golf clubs. <laughs> That's okay, we buy shoes, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. But um, there's just something so beautiful when we as women, where we get over that, that hump and we start building. So that's what I focus on. And I don't really work anymore so much with people one-on-one. If I do work with someone one-on-one, it's really to help them with the logistical support that they need because I'm a techie and I love the back end of setting up courses. So if someone wants to consult with me, I would help them, you know, do that. But that's the work that I do. And I just got a message last week that one of our members made her first, 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 first bit of money in her business. She was shocked. And it felt exhilarating for me to be able to hear that and for her to be excited and to be one step closer to, you know, the goals that she has in her business. Well, congratulations. Good for you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so So I'm just going to switch over to maybe some questions. And, you know, obviously we, we shared a little conversation before the podcast started about confidence. And, uh, you know, part of listening to you speak about what you're doing, you speak with such passion. 
obviously you have a lot of confidence. You don't have any problem speaking whatsoever. Has it always been that way? Has it been that you've, you were always a confident woman? Was your mom, because she was such a, a key leadership role in your life, you was she the one that helped you to become so confident? Oh, um, you know, I really love that question. So my mom could not instill everything into me right now that I have. She just didn't even have that opportunity herself. So I saw a woman who didn't ever have a chance to even heal from her traumas and wind up dying at a very early age because of that. Um, we already know that childhood traumas and, and, and things of that nature, stress wears on the body, heart disease and all that. I can go on and on about that. So it was through her death that sparked my decision of seeing that life is really futile, that someone this close to me died unexpectedly, that I was wasting my life away being small. Okay. I was in a toxic work environment for four years and I had dealt with debilitating stomach pain that could not be diagnosed. Went to the emergency room constantly, right? Dealt with migraines and it was all because of stress-related illness. I dealt with workplace burnout. And so seeing where I was and knowing that I was raising two little girls that were watching me, I was wasting all of my mother's sacrifices. So although I'm able to talk to you now, I still deal with levels of, of imposter syndrome or, or lack of confidence, especially when I'm rising up to the next level. But my, the catalyst for my change was my mother's unexpected death and going through a really bad bout of depression. And when I came up from that, I started my personal development journey. My first book that I read was Motivational Manifesto, and I've not stopped reading since then. I've been reading about two to three books every month, and I consistently pour into myself because I am adamant that I'm going to break generational curses that have affected my family, and it ends with me. And I know that my daughters going forward are going to far excel my own goals. So my confidence comes from clarity, clarity that knowing that I don't have that much time on this earth. I know that I need to play big and get over myself. I probably am never going to watch this interview because I know I'll pick it clean. <laughs> I just speak from the heart and go from there, you know, and know that my God-given abilities and talents have been put here. These desires have been put in here in my heart because I know I'm fully capable of it. I may not be a rich woman right now, right? But I will be able to as long as I stay consistent and I keep moving forward. So that's where it comes from. And I'm still a work in progress. Just now I'm working in this new mastermind just so I can realize that I'm worthy of having a multiple six-figure business or even a seven-figure business. You know, I made it to six figures in 2019. That was a big deal. I didn't even think that was possible. But I'm worthy of so much more and your listeners need to know that they are too. And, and we all are. And listen, honey, all of us are queens. I don't know. <laughs> all <it>. of us. <laughs> so if, if you were, if I was in my house in Maine, I would show you my queen's chair. Oh, my partner, Steve, just loves, oh my gosh, should I get the queen's chair out? So I hear you 
totally on that one. I don't totally hear you on that one. Yes, I love it. I love. I need to get me a queen's chair. Well, I don't know. I'll send you a picture of it, and you got to go find one because it's pretty friggin' <laughs> phenomenal. So when you sit in it, you're feeling like a hundred million. Oh, like it's the sky's the limit for sure. Yes, please share that with me. I'd love to see it. I will. <laughs> so, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten, and who gave it to you? You know, I would have to say that right now in this point in my life, what I keep telling myself is something that a friend of mine just that told me last year, or the year before she told me you are necessary. And that simple saying, her name is Natalie Fikes. She's also a motivational speaker. She's outside of um, dentistry. When she told me that I was necessary, it really helps me continue to put myself out there. I don't worry about, is there someone else doing already what I'm doing? You know, I don't worry about, is there someone that looks like me? You know, I just, I don't worry about that anymore. I just keep showing up and know that the Jasmines that were, you know, 2003, 2004 Jasmine that's sitting there searching and just knowing that this isn't it. This isn't, you know, I don't know what it is. I know I want more. I don't know if it's possible. Like I'm showing up for her. And knowing that if I keep showing up, I'll be able to spark her so that she can make the difference, her difference in the world. So I think that right now, that simple saying of you are necessary is what I keep telling myself. So is it like your own personal motto now? It's one of them because I'm, you know, I'm an overachiever. I must have more than one. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you want to share what another one, please feel free. Because I do think that that inspires people. You know, hearing what, what makes you tick and what makes me tick might be totally different. And, you know, it may just inspire somebody else. So if there's something else that you live by, please share it. I would share for women that it is okay for you to have boundaries. And the problem we have in our society is, is that when a woman has boundaries, such as, you know, I have boundaries with my email, I have boundaries with whether or not I allow someone to ask me, access me by phone number, um, we're called B-I-T-C-H's, right? And we're being a jerk because we decide that we want to do what's best for us. Like, excuse me? So I think that is a big thing for me is walking into that fact to knowing that I can control how I react towards people and I can also set how they are able to treat me, right? And what I allow. And I allowed so much negative treatment towards myself over the years with toxic relationships, meaning friendships, because I have a wonderful marriage, but friendships with narcissistic personalities because I didn't understand that I was necessary and I didn't understand that boundaries were important. And so I have some straight up strict boundaries. And I remember once one entrepreneur came up to me and said, she wanted to speak with me. I sent her my calendar schedule, right? To set up a call with me. And she said that when she, I sent that to her, she said to me that she immediately said, who does she think she is? <laughs> I have a busy schedule. Uh, here's my link. If it doesn't fit with yours, I'm sorry. My gosh, really? 
she said that to me when I met her in person. And I said, you know, the reason why I do that is because I want to have dinner with my family. I want to be available for my husband. I want to be available for my, for my sister, whoever, you know, I want a life. Right. And she said, you know what? I appreciate that because when I first started my business, I used to get phone calls on the dinner table and I'm like, well, you see (laughs) now, you know, now we know. So boundaries, ladies, set up those boundaries and be unapologetic. Good. I love that final one. Be unapologetic. Don't ever say you're sorry. Because you know what? We say that way too often. Like, like we should apologize for being on this earth. And quite honestly, I've had enough of that. I'm not apologizing for anything anymore. If I didn't make a deadline, I'm sorry. I was just busy. It's no- See, I even said it yes. right in that word, right? <laughs> We're taught, but we're taught. But we are. We are caught, and and it's really difficult to not apologize constantly. And I I do think that we have to be more aware of that in our conversation because we're constantly apologizing for something. So great, great uh, feedback. What um, If you don't want to talk about this one, that's fine. But is there an obstacle that you have overcome that you're really proud of? Wow. So... I am a mental health warrior. I deal with depression and anxiety. And it stemmed from me not taking care of myself enough. Now, I won't say that I'm perfect at it, but I know that when I need help, I ask for it. And so I think for me, just recently with the COVID and homeschooling and working on my business and working full time, it was a lot. And as women, especially for people that are raising children, we put so much on our shoulders. I mean, even though my husband's a great help, I still handle like 99% of the stuff with my kids, you know? And so I knew that when I was spinning out of the frame of mind that I needed to be in, I sought help. So I think for me, an obstacle for me is knowing that it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay for me to say as a black woman, but especially as a black woman, because I feel like we have such really bad, we demonize it a lot, mental health issues. And so I deal with depression and anxiety. And so if if anyone that's listening, if you see the work that I've done, know that if you deal with depression and anxiety, you're not, you know, you're not inadequate. There are ways in which you can work through it I'm in a group right now learning about nutrition and how nutrition plays a role in depression and anxiety. And so I'm not all the way through it, but I feel that I am conquering it at at the level that I should be right now. I will say that I think that many people are are struggling. And I, I don't know if you've seen this in your colleagues, but even myself personally, You know, I worked straight through COVID-19, you know, the shutdowns, everything, because the school was open providing emergency care. And, you know, where my my role is leadership of of the clinical operations. So for me, I, you know, had to be there all the time. And I will say it feels that those 13 weeks, 14 weeks were extremely overwhelming with the amount of self-education that we had to do 
the amount of changes that happen every single day. And just when you thought you had one thing done, you had to go back to the drawing board because something else has come up and they learned something out new about the disease. And so we had to change your protocols all over again. I have been feeling extremely burnt out and my ability where I have always been a workhorse, you know, 24 seven, I can work. I have no problem. I don't have small children any longer. I, you know, my daughter's grown and I have a grandson, but that's once a week. My, my personal life has been suffering a lot because I feel like I can't get anything done anymore because I cannot concentrate. And I know it's because I'm burning out and I know I just need a week away to just detach a hundred percent. And I haven't been able to do it yet. So I think that listeners also need to realize that we do have to take vacation now. We do have to find a way to take care of ourselves personally because COVID-19, believe it or not, was a very traumatic event. Um, having a pandemic where you can't, you know, we're all, I think most of us are people people, right? You know, this is what we do. We hug each other. We, we share food. We, we come together as communities. We were not able to do that. In fact, I couldn't see my grandson for the longest time. My daughter wouldn't let me in the house because I was working in uh, the school and potentially exposed to COVID. Now, obviously, there was no transfer of any kind of disease within the school during that time. But I will say that it's overwhelming. So it's okay, I think, for us to, to take vacations now and force ourselves to just detach 100% because this was not an easy thing to go through. Absolutely. I just came from five days of having vacation and I needed to unplug, completely unplug. And I'm introverted and I don't like sharing food. Um, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cause you mentioned sharing food. I'm like, I don't know who shares food. I don't like sharing my food. <laughs> not, not, with, not sharing sharing dinners and, and being together. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm not just sharing eating. my food. <laughs> okay, so see, little interpretation. I got to be careful of that. Thank you, Jasmine. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> no, I'm introverted. And so I love being home. But it was, I thought I was going to be okay. And I think, I don't know if it was the third week. I was just like, I can't do this. Yeah. what is going on? Like it was, it was really rough. So I called my doctor, got the help that I needed, but yeah, we need to, we need to take a break. And, and again, that's what the boundaries are for too. Like yeah. understanding we can't be on all the time. Right. So tell me in dentistry, who really inspires you today? I, I just feel like there's so many, <laughs> there's so many, there's so many incredible people that I've had a chance to meet over the course of my career. Like my first speaker inspiration was Edie Gibson, seeing her speak for the first time. I was just like, oh, just amazing. I can't, I can't name just, I, I'm sorry. I can't that's name okay. just one. Okay. I'm just thinking about like just my clients, like Kyle Isaac, Susan Cotton, Jennifer Louise, who's a friend of mine, Jennifer Hash. She's a huge advocate and activist. Claire Jung, who, who works with student RDH. She's an incredible businesswoman. Joy Void Holmes is another businesswoman that's a speaker. Sonia Dunbar, the geriatric tooth fairy. 
Martel Coke from um, Brown Girl RDH, Elijah Desmond from Smiles at Sea. I mean, there's so many incredible people that, um, uh, Christy Lincoln, who is a Native American hygienist that you don't really get a chance to to meet often from your smiling hygienist. There are so many people, Karen Fiala, okay? She's another co-host of Mom Genis. She's a Nebraska dental hygienist. I didn't even know Nebraska existed until I met her. Um, it's just... <laughs> oh my God. She's just, there's so many incredible people that love our profession that- Well, you just, named quite a few really cool people. I know a bunch of the names that you shared, so that, that's fine. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> so tell me one thing that people would be surprised to know about you. I love karaoke. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> I got through dental hygiene school because some crazy ladies from Ocean City got me to loosen up my second year of dental hygiene school. And we went to a bar called the Brass Cactus in Cumberland, Maryland. Most of the people did not have teeth and they were singing country music. And I wind up picking an R&B song from the seventies from Manhattan's, if anyone knows R&B and I love karaoke. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> Nobody's shared. They love karaoke with me yet. So that's a good. Oh goodness. Now, have you ever had an aha moment where you realized you were doing exactly what you were meant to do in this life? Mm. I just recently did a strength finder again. Um, I was encouraged in this new ma business mastermind that I'm in to do it again if you've had like any major changes in your life. So I did it before I started my graduate program and I, I just took it a few weeks ago. And my top five changed a bit but it sh totally shows that I'm actually doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I think if anyone that's not sure, they need to do some sort of assessment. Disc assessment shows you your form of communication, but Strength Finder really shows you what makes you you. And leveraging that and maximizing that can really help you personally and professionally. I, I, t I couldn't agree more. I, I highly recommend it myself. I, it's a great way to really find some more insight to who you are and, and, you know, where you should be concentrating your energy because why not concentrate it on the areas that you're strong with? Forget the stuff that you, you know, you can always hire out for the things that you're weak at, but, you know, maximize your strengths for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. What's your favorite way to relieve stress? I love taking hot baths and watching horrible reality TV. Anything that I don't have to use my brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Crack up at crazy people. I love doing it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's great. That's great. Do you have a guilty pleasure or a secret dream that you want to share with the audience? Guilty pleasure. I love mac and cheese. <laughs> ah, how about lobster mac and cheese? I love that too. Oh, oh, I would love some lobster. Where, where I live right now, the seafood isn't that good. Well, I can tell you, I know exactly where you can find some. You come and visit me in Maine and I can find you some really good stuff. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. There you go. There you go. Anytime you want to come up, whenever the doors and the gates open again. Yes. Gosh, it's amazing. All right. So I'm at the end of all my questions and I have just, I've got to say that I, I 
thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, Jasmine. It was really nice to have a frank conversation. I learned several things today and I wanna thank you for that specifically. My comment about not seeing color was not intentional to hurt anyone and I know that you understand that, but now I understand by you sharing with me your feedback, why it would be not acceptable for you. And I want you to know that I really appreciate that because I don't wanna say these things if it's going to make the conversation even more uncomfortable, right? Yeah. I'm thinking one way, but that's not how it's being perceived. So I really want you to know that I appreciate that. And, and I am going to be working really hard to try and figure out how I can start leading the pack of my clueless, white colleagues into, you know, let's start having these, these really difficult conversations so that we can start moving the needle on this and, and becoming more and more aware for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such an honor to talk with you. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for being a good sport with me teasing you. (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. It's all wonderful. It's really wonderful. And I can't wait to meet you in person. I got to tell you, I, I love the way you've branded yourself. I love, you know, the picture of you and your dresses and, you know, just the, the superwoman poses you got going on. It's just awesome. So, Thank you. you know, you just ooze confidence. And I know that anybody that studies with you is going to walk away in a much better place just because of their association with you, because I, I can just tell that you just have the entire package and I want to wish you the very best with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you again. Thank you again for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation. Thank you.